1: Hi, you're listening to episode number 127 of the Blended Family Podcast. We've been covering mental health issues all month, and today is no different. I'm bringing you another interview with a fabulous author. There will also be a giveaway of her book, However, I'm not going to randomly select someone from my list as I usually do. And the reason is because her book may not be for you. We're talking today about co-parenting with a toxic ex. That is the name of the book. Some of you may not need that. Maybe you have an ex that you co-parent well with. So for this giveaway, yes, you do need to be a member of my list. But also, if you want to win, I'll need you to shoot me a quick email Or Facebook message letting me know that you are interested in this book. Tell me your email and once I confirm that you are also on my list, you'll be entered to win. I will give you until the end of the month to do that and I'll announce the winner the first week of June. And if you're not already part of my mailing list, you can join at blendedfamilypodcast.com slash subscribe. There will not be a show next week. It's Memorial Day and I'm taking a break, but I will be back that first Monday of June with a new show for you. Over here at my house, things are a little bit stressful. Our son graduated this week, which was somewhat of a miracle. He started this senior year with only nine credits, and you need... 24 to graduate. He was overloaded this year with night school, online school, plus his regular classes and a job. So we're super proud of what he's accomplished. Our 13 year old daughter tried out for the varsity cheer team for her school and made it, which was huge for her. We have a dance recital coming next week. You guys know how it is at the end of the year. So much going on. Our one year wedding anniversary was yesterday and it's hard to believe it has already been that long. And I don't know why, But it's been a rough year. I think it's the ages of the kids right now. There's a lot of drama going on. And I know you can relate. So many of you have more kids than we do. It's tough. But we're managing. And it helps that we have a community where we all can relate to one another. If you're not part of our private Facebook group, please join us over at blendedfamilypodcast.com slash group. Everyone is so supportive in there. It's really wonderful. And I have no other announcements today. Let's get right to the interview. And don't forget, if you like what you hear today, be sure to let me know if you want a chance to win a copy of her book. I also want to let you know that the audio quality of this interview disappointed me. You'll notice that my guest sounds great, but for some reason, my voice sounds a little off, and I wasn't able to fix it. I have no idea why it happened. And I debated on whether or not to air it, but ultimately I decided to go ahead with it because her voice sounds perfectly clear and she has so much valuable information to share. So I hope it's not too terrible for you to listen to, and I hope you enjoy. I'm joined today with Dr. Amy Baker. She has a PhD from Teachers College of Columbia University. She has 25 years conducting research on parent-child relationships and child maltreatment. She is an author or co-author of eight books and over 100 articles. She is a nationally recognized expert in parental alienation. She has trained legal and mental health professionals around the country and served as an expert in courtrooms in the US and Canada. She also provides telephone coaching to help targeted parents enhance their relationship with their alienated children. Amy, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So your book, Co-Parenting with a Toxic Ex, What to Do When Your Ex-Spouse Tries to Turn the Kids Against You, was recommended to me from a listener of my show. I'm really into sharing resources that can help my audience, especially books. And I can tell you that from doing this podcast for the last couple of years, that this is a topic that unfortunately is very needed in my community. I get emails and letters every day from distraught listeners who are dealing with exes that behave in the most vile ways, and sadly, I don't think the problem is going away, which of course motivates me to keep this show going. So we have a lot to cover today, but before we do, I always like to give my guests a chance to introduce themselves, so please tell us a little bit about yourself, and also, I'd love to know why did you choose to write this book?
0: Well, I got into the topic of parental alienation uh, sort of generally through my overall, overarching, longstanding interest in child maltreatment. And and it really is a form of emotional abuse. And I was particularly drawn to the topic because when I started back in 2004, being interested in the topic of parental alienation, there was virtually no research being conducted in the field. And there were some burning questions. And it's really every researcher's dream to find a topic that is both understudied, and yet uh, there is a natural constituent of consumers for the information. And so one thing really has just led to the next. Every book I write or every study I complete, I end up thinking, well, that answer to that question, but now I really want to know. Or the people who contact me who are dealing with this really want to know the next thing. And so one thing just keeps leading to the next. So the impetus for the co-parenting book was really how I really want to help parents who are dealing with this not necessarily change the other parent, which I've come to believe is highly unlikely. It's very hard to change people who have personality disorders, many of them who aren't motivated to change. And I really want to give targeted parents the tools to change themselves. Not that they're the cause of the problem, but they still have power. They, they are often underempowered or disempowered. They feel that they have no role to play in their child's life or that there's nothing they can do to help their child. And so the point of this book is to say, here are some concrete tools to help you, even though the other person is primarily causing this problem, here are some tools to help you deal as effectively as possible with it.
1: Well, that's great. And I always tell my listeners too, that we can't change anybody else. We can only control, you know, the way we react to other people. And so I like that you said that it's absolutely true. All right. So parental alienation is a huge problem in many cases of divorce or separation. First, let's talk about prevention. I know for many listeners, it might be too late for that, but I think it's important to talk about it for those who might be in the beginning stages of divorce. So how do we prevent this sort of thing from happening? And really, can it be prevented at all? I'm sure a lot of it has to do with the specific person and their personality. But what are your thoughts on preventing parental alienation?
0: Well, if we want to uh, have a time machine and we can go back and really, really, really prevent it, that my, my uh, sort of glib answer is don't marry a narcissist. Don't mm-hmm. have children with somebody who is impervious to feedback who um, it can never be wrong, is incapable of uh, experiencing empathy or uh, the ability to take somebody else's point of view. But short of that, assuming you made that mistake, you have a child with somebody who is not going to be able to see that you have value to your children once they've decided that you don't have value to them. The best prevention is really understanding what it is from the beginning knowing the red flags because too often what happens is people contact me and they say you know i knew my ex was referring to me by first name or i knew that my ex was asking the kids to keep a secret from me or i knew this or i knew that but i didn't know that this was all part of a larger problem called parental alienation so the first uh, really important step, if you think this might be going on, is to learn about it. What are the 17 primary parental alienation strategies? What are the eight behavioral manifestations of an alienated child? So the first thing is to look at what's happening in your situation and be an informed consumer about what's happening in your family. The next step I would say is to don't discount that your kids' complaints about you are legitimate. So one of the traps that targeted parents fall into is saying to themselves and other people, I'm a victim of alienation, therefore, I'm blameless. I don't Mm. contribute at all to my kids' problems with me. Everything is the other parent's fault. And when you do that, you are depriving yourself of an opportunity to fix a problem that maybe you in fact caused or contributed to. The other problem with assuming that everything is the other parent's fault is you not opening your heart and your ears and your mind to what your children have to tell you about how they feel in the relationship with you. And that attitude The attitude that everything is the other parent's fault actually contributes to your kids feeling disenfranchised in the relationship. It contributes to them feeling unheard and unloved, and that is a fertile ground for alienation.
1: Mm, i I really like that because a lot of people don't look at themselves and don't want to take responsibility for their own actions, so that's good. In the book, you talk about loyalty conflict, which I think is common for all children of divorce, although I imagine that many parents use it to their advantage. Can you explain what it is and also what measures we should take to help our children cope with those feelings? So
0: we don't I don't actually have a precise definition of loyalty conflict. Sometimes I use that term, interchangeably with alienation simply because it's a more readily accessible, less jargony term. But I think that in general, kids are inclined to feel a loyalty conflict if they love two people, for example, their parents who don't get along with each other. Not every situation of a loyalty conflict actually involves alienation because the parents could work together to help their children Uh, manage the loyalty conflict. So the parents could say, you know, honey, uh, mommy and daddy love you. We both love you and you love both of us and you don't have to choose ever. So that would be a situation where a kid might feel a loyalty conflict, but the parents don't exploit that and let that evolve into alienation.
1: Mm. I had a a situation like that with my older daughter when she was she was probably about five or six, maybe seven, and she was doing the whole going back and forth to each house, saying things and making up stories and I had to do that with her. we had to sit her down and say you don 't have to say these things so that you know you think you have to choose a parent or you think that you have to say this so that we 'll love you more um, and and you know we we actually weren't doing anything to cause that, but just like you said, just children of a divorce sometimes feel that it's necessary to do that, even though the parents aren't making them feel that way. So that's a tough issue with a lot of kids. The next yeah, question, about-
0: Good well, I was going to say I'm so aware that people ask kids all the time like what do you like better chocolate or vanilla or what do you what's your favorite, you know, subject in school? And we do sort of orient kids to thinking about making these false choices. You don't have to choose between chocolate and vanilla. You don't have to have a favorite subject. Maybe you like them all. So, I think that there's things that we do with our kids that sort of naturally signal to them that
1: they have to choose when, in fact, a choice really isn't necessary. That's a great point. Well, the next question I have, and I'm sure many people wonder, is how do we know when something becomes a problem? And I ask this because so many divorces are high conflict and so many adults behave in manners that are destructive, not only to themselves, but also to their children. I think in some cases it's evident, but in other cases, We may not always be aware of an ex's toxic behavior right away. So what are some signs we can look for to determine if our child is caught up in this loyalty conflict?
0: Well, I guess the bottom line is whether you as a parent feel that your child is reacting to you based on your relationship or whether they're treating you or reacting to you based on something outside of the relationship. So, you know, the perfect example would be the child who leaves you, you send them to the other parent's house and you're in a good place in the relationship, and then they come back angry, petulant, Mm. rude, whatever language we want to use to describe it, distrusting, uh, suspicious, et cetera. You have to uh, have your antenna up that something happened and that you didn't actually do anything because you haven't even been with your child. So if you feel that your child is coming back to you, not trusting your intentions, being suspicious that you don't really love them, that you aren't really available to them, I think that's that's a big warning sign that um, your relationship
1: is in jeopardy. Okay, and so once we determine that this is in fact happening, We want to stop it. And I know that isn't always possible. Like you said, we can't do anything about them. But what's the best method to go about trying to get your ex to recognize what they're doing and behave better?
0: Well, so there's definitely a lot you can do in your relationship with your child, which I imagine we'll get to in a bit. But in terms of dealing with the ex, I do strongly suggest that the parent, you as a parent, if you feel that your ex is undermining you, you could invite that person to spend some time alone with you and invite criticism and say, you know, I've never been an ex-wife before, or I've never been, a, you know, an ex-husband before. How am I doing? Do you feel that there's difficulties in our relationship? Am I doing something that's making you feel hurt and angry with me? So you could try at least once to Um, hear them out, invite them to tell you what's going on. Maybe they'll say, you know, I really feel like you're undermining me or I really feel I'm very hurt that you told the kids that I did blah, blah in college. That's not their business and they brought it up with me. And I feel, you know, they might share with you something that's telling you that you, in fact, are antagonizing that person that's resulting in the problem. So that would be in a way good news because then all you would need to do is change your own behavior and you could perhaps help that person modify their behavior. The worst case scenario are the exes who say, there's nothing you could say to me that would make a difference. I hate you. I don't want the kids to have a relationship with you. Uh, You're on your own. This is war. Um, We don't have anything to talk about. You know, where they're kind of hardcore committed to not even trying to resolve the conflict but you could at least try
1: so i think that that's a wonderful idea i think definitely some people will have an issue with it because of ego so i think get your ego out of the way for that because nobody wants to take any kind of criticism especially from your ex but i think that's a great idea if you can communicate it and you know, again, I know that a lot of stuff sometimes goes back and forth from house to house. And sometimes the kids misconstrue things. And you might think that it's your ex, but it, you know, I always say that children are very manipulative and not even meaning to, they just sometimes play those both sides. And there's been plenty of times, even in my own house that we thought that our exes were saying something because of certain things that the kids were saying. And then when we finally did confront our exes, we found out that that wasn't true at all. So it's a great point. Open up that conversation. That way you can even see if there's any truth to it at all. Amy, one of my favorite chapters in the book is chapter three, core concepts of positive parenting. My listeners know that I always place more focus on what we can do to make things better rather than focusing on things we cannot control. And let's face it, our exes and their behavior is not something we can control. That's why that chapter spoke to me. I think if we can't stop our ex from doing what they do, it's helpful to be the best parent we can be, therefore minimizing the damage to our children. Can you speak about this?
0: Well, there are a lot of landmines for targeted parents and... One of the things that I say to a targeted parent is you don't have the luxury of being an A parent. You have to be A++. Mm -hmm. And you don't get to say to your kid, you know, don't be so lazy. Come on, pick up your room already. I asked you three times. That would be something not ideal, but that would be something that an A parent who wasn't being undermined and interfered with by the other parent could get away with. But if you're in an alienation dynamic, that other parent is just waiting for you to do, you know, even the smallest slip up, whether it's to grab the cell phone out of the kid's hands, which, again, most parents do. But if you're a targeted parent, you can't do that that could turn into a mommy grabbed me and twisted my wrist or scratched me and then you have a child abuse claim on your hand mm. and i'm not joking so we really need to give targeted parents very um the, the best tools that we have for strengthening the attachment relationship between the parent and child avoiding conflict and managing conflict when it is unavoidable and to me the positive parenting A philosophy is absolutely the best philosophy that there is. And then I take that in the book and I apply it specifically to alienation dynamics. So some of what's in chapter three is the basic uh, positive parenting philosophy. And then I take it even further throughout the book as it would play out in specific alienation situations.
1: Good. And what I think people will love about the book also is that You've written entire chapters dedicated to specific issues, such as when your ex is interfering with contact and communication, when your ex is erasing and replacing you, when your ex is encouraging your child to betray your trust, and when your ex is undermining your authority. We don't have time to get into each one of those, but I do want to address this one, and that is in chapter five. When your ex is sending poisonous messages about you and the reason I want to talk about this one is because I get so many emails about this very thing I think adults have a really hard time holding back from saying things that they shouldn't And very rarely do they think or care about the effect it has on their children in the book You give exercises and how to deal with this. Can you talk about that for us?
0: Sure, well let me put it in the context which is that throughout my research in the field of alienation I've identified 17 primary parental alienation strategies. These are the the main ways in which one parent can undermine and interfere in the other parent's relationship with the child. So when I was doing the pitch for the book to the publisher I said well we should really have a chapter for each of those 17 primary parental alienation strategies describing what it is and then talking about how a targeted parent should respond. And the publisher was like, oh, no, 17 is too many. Nobody wants to read 17 chapters. Mm. Can you find a way to collapse those 17 into uh, a smaller uh, number? And so uh, my co-author and I looked at the 17, and we put the ones that kind of fit together into these categories, and that's how we came up with the five. So each of those five represents a few different of the 17 primary parental alienation strategies. And the poisonous message is really the heart of alienation. Alienation is really when one parent is able to convince the child that the other parent is unsafe, unloving, and unavailable. And the parent does that through these poisonous messages, through implying or creating situations in which the child comes to believe that the other parent does not love them. So this is a huge point that I want to underscore. Targeted parents think that their child is rejecting them. But in reality, the child feels rejected by the parent that the child is rejecting. And the child feels rejected because the The alienating parent has conveyed to the child through these poisonous messages that the other parent, the targeted parent, doesn't really love them. And the reason it works is because what the alienating parent is able to do is to take real things that the targeted parent did whether it's show up five minutes late for soccer practice or serve them broccoli when the kid says I hate broccoli or punish them by taking away the cell phone, whatever it is, the alienating parent takes real things that the targeted parent does and interprets them for the child as proof that the targeted parent doesn't love them. So Mm. that's the poison message. It's a a poison pill that gets into the child's uh, system and it corrupts the child's experience of the targeted parent, such that the child then interprets what the targeted parent is doing as proof that that targeted parent doesn't love them. So I hope that doesn't sound overly convoluted. But the, if you understand the psychology of it, then you understand what the response is. The response is to be safe and loving and available. And that is very hard because the alienating parent is inciting the child to be provocative and difficult with the targeted parent in hopes that the targeted parent won't use positive parenting strategies, but will use less than ideal parenting strategies, furthering the child's belief that that parent doesn't love them. So the targeted parent's job is to always be safe, loving, and available. And if there's time, I can actually go through an exercise and an example to show you what I mean, because otherwise it might be a little abstract.
1: Please do. Go
0: ahead. Okay. So the the classic example is the child comes home from visiting the alienating parent with an accusation. You stole my college money. Doesn't have to be that, but it's some accusation, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And the targeted parent thinks, ah, that's why my child is so hateful towards me. They have this false belief. They think I did something really terrible. And so they're angry. No wonder they're rejecting me. This is the thought process of the targeted parent. So mm-hmm. generally, the targeted parent responds by saying something like, how dare you think that? Or who told you that? Or you know that's not true. Okay? Mm-hmm. And if they react that way, which is a very natural reaction, you're being attacked. You want to, you want to uh, defend yourself. And you want to clear up the misunderstanding because you have the false belief that when you clear up the misunderstanding, the kid won't be mad at you anymore. But if you do that with anger in your voice, how dare you accuse me of doing that? Or why would you think that? All I've ever done is show you how important you are to me. Why would you think I would do something so terrible? If you respond to your child with that kind of negative energy, even if what you're doing is telling them, I love you, I would never steal your college money, the child reacts to the tone of voice and thinks, wow, you know, dad's right. Mom really is a horrible person. She, all she does is yell at me. This is a pointless relationship. Mm. So here is the five-step solution, okay? Okay. No matter what, if your kid says, you don't know how to boil water, which I've heard, but believe it or not. (sighs) You've never listened to me. We've never been close. You're always mean to me. You stole my money. It doesn't matter what the accusation is. You beat me when I was a baby, okay? No matter what the accusation is, here are the five steps. Step one, gratitude. So you would say to your child, Thank you so much for telling me you think I, and then you insert, I I stole your college money. I'm so proud of you that you can tell me when you have a concern about something I did or said. You know, it's so easy to complain about somebody behind their back. It takes courage to look somebody in the eye and tell them when you're upset with them. And I always want to know when you're upset with me. So that's step one. And I have to tell you, it is
1: shocking to the child. Oh yeah, they're definitely not expecting that.
0: (laughs) Then step two is compassion, which means paying attention in the moment to what your child is expressing. Are they concerned? Are they worried? Are they afraid? Are they scared? Are they sad? What are they feeling? So you would say, No wonder you're so confused if confusion is what they're putting out there. Is that how you're feeling? Because you look so confused right now. So you're paying attention to the feelings in the moment, which is super hard because when we're being attacked, our higher order functioning part of our brain shuts down and we have to override that shutdown and access our compassion for our child. Even if they're accusing us of something terrible, like you never loved me or you beat me when I was a baby. Step three is empathy. That's where you would tell your child, you know, I think I would be really confused. Again, I'm just using confused as an example. I would be really confused if I thought my mom stole my college money. I would be thinking, boy, I thought my mom loved me. I thought my mom valued education. And then I find out that she did that. That would be so confusing to me. Step four is where you do the correction. Okay? And mm-hmm. I generally teach targeted parents one sentence, two at the most, where you would say, you know, honey, that didn't happen. That's it. And then you go to step five, which it depends on what the... um What the criticism is, but generally, step five starts with going back to the compassion. But I understand you think I did that. And now I know why you're so hurt and angry. And you build on that depending on what the complaint is.
1: Boy, this this is tough. I think that this is so valuable. And I'm really glad that you went into all that because I know how hard it is for people to just... Keep that calm attitude, and you know when your your first reaction is anger that how dare that person say this about you and so um, but I can totally see by you explaining this how that would work because the child would not be expecting that, and so that's that's really good, and I like how you can apply that to pretty much any situation there is, so that 's really, really valuable um, we 're going to wrap up soon, and I know that there's so much we couldn 't touch on today. So listeners, I really encourage you to check out this book. I know that you, so many of you are dealing with a toxic ex and you're suffering from parental alienation. Um, If any of what we discussed today speaks to you, please get the book. Additionally, you should know that this is not Amy's only book. She has so many. If you go to her website, which is www.amyjlbaker.com, you can view all of the work she's done. It really is incredible. All of her books, of course, relate to divorce. And even if this one doesn't speak to you, one of her other books might. Amy, before we go, can you give my listeners any last words of advice or encouragement?
0: It is so the encouragement is that it is possible to hang in there with very alienated, very hurt, very angry kids, and what you do matters. Even if all you can do at this moment is show up and your kid says, I'm not getting in the car with you, the showing up matters. Even if all you can do is text your kid every day and with a happy emoji and say, I love you, and you don't even know if your kid is ever reading your texts or just deleting them, it still matters. It's the hardest thing for the targeted parent to believe because the whole point of the alienation is to invalidate them. Their ex is telling them, you're no good, you're stupid, you have nothing to contribute, you're worthless. And the kid is telling them, I could just walk away from this relationship, you have no meaning to me. Mm -hmm. So my main message is, you have meaning to your child, even when your child cannot consciously uh, access that meaning for themselves.
1: Well, that is really great advice, Amy. Thank you so much for coming on the show today to talk about a topic that affects so many families.
0: I really appreciate your interest and I'm happy to come back another time. There's always more to talk
1: about. Absolutely. And once again, listeners, you can connect with Amy by visiting her website. And again, that is amyjlbaker.com. Buy the book, Co-Parenting with a Toxic Ex, What to Do When Your Ex-Spouse Tries to Turn the Kids Against You right on Amazon. And I will include a link for that right in the show notes to make things easier. And I hope that you found this conversation valuable. Feedback can be sent to me at Melissa at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Continue the conversation over in our private Facebook group, which if you are not already a member, you can join by going to blendedfamilypodcast.com group. Thanks for listening. Bye.
0: You have been listening to the Blended Family Podcast. For more information, please visit the website at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Remember, to create the peaceful home you desire, all you need is love.